All right, all right. Well, hey, Multiply Lake Norman, how we doing this morning? Wow. Uh, I'm going to walk off with the band. All right, let's try. Should we try that again? I know it's raining outside. I know it's cold. All right, I'm going to walk on stage. Let's try this again. 1015, how we doing this morning? All right. Man, tell you what. Well, hey, hey, I got a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, really just one of them, and this is what we need everyone to know in the room. We are starting the first weekend in March. We're changing our service times, all right? We're changing to 9 and 10.30. Uh, so we're just bumping it back 15 minutes. That way the individuals who are showing up 15 minutes late to church, you can, you can be on I saw some eyebrows go up like, did he just say that? Yeah, I just said that. People wonder why they don't get involved in church. I said it, I said it this way in a first service. What, how did I say it? You show up 15 minutes late and you leave 15 minutes early. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. Uh, so, man, no, we're just moving those times back a little bit, uh, really to accommodate the growth. We're trying to make it more accessible to that first service. So, listen, if you are in here, you look around, obviously we're packed out in here. Would you consider going to the first service? Again, those are going to be at 9 and 10.30. So we've been in our altar series now. This is week six. Let me give you a recap of the first five weeks. Week one, we talked about the altar of prayer. And we took the look at how Daniel prayed and, and really stood for prayer when an entire nation was bowing down. And I had the Pharaoh rod. You remember I got up here and made fire on stage. And, and really the, the point of that message, the point of that sermon was to remind us that we're all called to carry our own individual fire. You can't rely on someone else to carry the fire for you. You can't rely on the pastor to bring a sermon every Sunday. You can't rely on the worship team to provide that fire. You have to bring your own fire. And then we talked about the altar of presence. And we looked at this individual in Scripture. His name was Obed-Edom. And we looked at his family and how he decided to host the presence of God for his family, which naturally led us into week number three in the altar of generations. And we talked about how Joshua built an altar after they crossed over the Jordan River. There were the leaders of the Israelites. They waded in the water and they were bringing out these big stones to create the altar. And we asked this question, what are we building now that will outlast us? And what are we building for the future? And then we talked about the altar of God's power. And the power of God was undeniable when we took a look at Elijah and, and the prophets of Baal and fire came down from heaven. And last week we talked about the altar of uncut stones. If you remember, I had the stones up here. I had the chisel. And, and we like to add things to the word of God or we like to add things to our life to try to pretty ourselves up or dress ourselves up so that we can present ourselves before God. But scripture is clear that we're not called to dress ourselves up. And scripture is very clear that Jesus wants us to present ourselves to him as we are. In fact, our sin, our fallenness is the prereq to presenting ourselves before God, presenting ourselves before Jesus. Here's the reality. Without sin, we wouldn't need Jesus. Like, let that sink in for a second. Without sin, we wouldn't need Jesus. But guess what? We have sin. Therefore, we need who? Jesus. The very, I like whoever the, the six-year-old in the back was, it just screamed, Jesus, bring him in the service every week because I need some response. Say it again. Whoever said it, say it again. I love it. If that doesn't encourage you this morning, then y'all need to walk out the door right now. The very person that can handle our sin the very being that can handle the weight of, of our brokenness and of our sin is the person that we don't take our sin to. 
We try to act like we can't bring it to God because he can't handle it. We can't bring it to Jesus. If Jesus only, guess what? He already knows. He knows what you've done. He knows what you've been through. We're called to bring our sin, to bring our brokenness, to bring our fear, to bring our failure, and to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Today we're going to be diving into the altar of encounter. Think back to week one when we read in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it, and it shall not go out. Listen, each week we've not only talked about the importance of the altar, but we've had altar experiences. Each week, man, we've opened up the altar. Each week we've come up for prayer. And this is what I know about fires. Any fire left by itself will eventually burn out. Any fire left on its own will eventually go out. I don't care if it's a fire in your backyard or a forest fire. Eventually it'll go out if it's not tended to. We have to tend to the fire. There's a story about an Oklahoma congressman. And before he ran for office, he ran this statewide youth camp. And it wasn't just any youth camp. It was like the camp for Oklahoma. In fact, it's estimated that 5% of the entire population in Oklahoma actually attended the camp. That's a, that's a lot of people. And this is what was said. The senator told this story that he would often hear kids as they gathered, they, they unpacked their bags, and they were giving mom and dad kind of that final hug. And, and the question that the newcomers could be heard asking, the question that the kids would ask their parents, the question that the kids would ask the camp counselors, the, the question that the kids would ask other kids would go something like this. I heard people meet God there. I wonder if that's true. I heard people meet God at that camp. I wonder if that's true. So it got me thinking about our church. I wonder what the Lake Norman community says about our church. I wonder what our, our neighbors say about our church. I wonder what the people that we rub shoulders with and elbows with say about our church. It could be said, man, I heard they have the best people there. I heard they step into local and global outreach. I heard they're planting churches like crazy. I heard they had great groups and I heard they had a, a, a pastor that's pretty good at pickleball, and you can determine which pastor that is, whether Manny or myself. And neither one of us can claim it this week. Neither one of us. You, were you stretching? You, were, you weren't raising your hand? What happened in our game this week? We t- <laughs> Pat from left field over here. We tied. Yes, we tied, Pat. So we, neither one of us can claim. But let's be honest. It wasn't because of Pat that we tied, right? It was... Is your back still hurting from carrying the team? No? No? Okay. I, I digress. Let me get back to my notes. Let me get... Man, I, I, heard, I heard they have a great community that truly cares for one another. All, all of this is great, but the one question, the one question that I really want people to ask in our community when they're mentioning our church is, I heard people meet God there. I wonder if that's true. I heard, I heard people meet God there. Let's talk about the altar of encounter today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28 and Genesis chapter 35. But let me set this scene for you. Jacob is running from Esau in Genesis chapter 28, and he has this encounter with God. And biblically, we know that Jacob had a knowledge about God. Biblically, we know that Jacob had a generational promise within him that we read throughout Scripture, but that knowledge and understanding needed to be activated and turned into an experience. Because there's a difference between being taught about God and actually encountering God. 
There's a difference in your parents knowing about God, regardless of the age of the person in the room, and you encountering God for yourself. There's a difference between knowing right from wrong and actually encountering God. There's a difference between walking into church on a Sunday morning and actually encountering God. We can talk about all this stuff that we want to, but until you encounter God for yourself, you'll never fully understand what Scripture is trying to relay to us. Let me put it this way. I mean, I could talk about a mission trip in Nicaragua, and I could talk about Get Strong Ministries, and I could talk about doing CrossFit there, and I could show you the pictures, and I could tell you about the people, and I could tell you about the church and the gym, and you could have a working knowledge of it, but until you come with me and experience it for yourself, you'll never have a full understanding of it. Listen, I could tell you about living in Israel, and I could tell you about the old city, and I could tell you about the Western Wall, and I could tell you about the Sea of Galilee. I and mean, I could tell you about the Dead Sea and how you can float in it. There's like zero possibility for you to go under the water. I could tell you about En Gedi and how it's an oasis in the middle of the desert. And, and that's where David ran from Saul and wrote most of the Psalms. Or you could come with us in 2024 and you could experience Israel for yourself. <coughs> I could tell you about boot camp. I could tell you about how I'm about to cough my head off right now too. <coughs> I could tell you about boot camp, and I could tell you about the yellow feet prints, the footprints that you stand on and you have to stand at attention. I could tell you about the drill instructors and how they yell in your face. I had one drill instructor, he had a Smokey Bear cover, so those round covers that drill instructors wear. And man, I don't know if it was because I'm 5'9 and short, but he was a little taller than me, and he had this like Smokey Bear cover. Hold on one second. <coughs> Is that good? We're good. I'm literally, I don't know what happened. Anybody ever get something in your throat and you're like, dear Lord, what's going on right now? That is me right now. So if I just turn and cough, just let, it's like a commercial when you're watching TV later today, all right? It's just, it's just going to be a random commercial. I apologize. But man, I remember my drill instructor and he would like poke me in between the eyes with his cover on his hat. Like he would literally peck me like a bird. (laughs) And and I can tell you about that moment. I, I can tell you about the sand pit, and I could tell you how they made us do sand angels. I could tell you about the crucible. I could tell you about the firing range. And I could tell you about all of these experiences, or you could go experience it for your. Please don't go experience boot camp, all right? If you're in this room, you're supposed to be in this room. You're not called in the. I'm just kidding. I could tell you about skydiving. And I could tell you about having a, a pack strapped to your back. And then I could tell you that when you're, you're sitting kind of on this bench seat, there's this door in front of you. And I could tell you that you look out the window when you're going up to skydive. And I could tell you the rush that you feel when that door opens. And I could tell you about how you kind of shift back and forth and waddle back and forth until your feet are hanging out the plane. And I can tell you that you rock. And I can tell you that you get one big rock and you just do a somersault out the plane. And I can tell you what it feels like to free fall. I can tell you what it feels like to pull the cord. I can tell you what it feels like to kind of coast and, and glide down. Or you could go experience it for yourself. Anybody in the room ever been skydiving? Yeah? Who wants to go skydiving? Who's like, I would never jump out of a perfectly good plane? There you go. <laughs> Those last hands, you're like, I'll just take your word for it. I don't need that experience. But I could tell you about all of this stuff. But, but true experience takes participation. Again, we can look at Jacob's encounter with God and we can get some insights, but until you have an encounter for yourself, 
you'll never feel, fully understand what Scripture is trying to relay. So I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Today we're going to open up the altars again, and my challenge is for everyone in the room to experience an encounter moment at the altar. Now listen, it doesn't mean you have to come up front because there's something spiritual about the front. Listen, you can turn around right in your seat, hit your knees, and, and make your chair your own altar. But what does it look like to truly encounter God, the prophet Hosea writes this in Hosea chapter 12, verse 4. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. Throughout Scripture, what we see is Bethels are places that you go to meet God. Again, Genesis chapter 28 and, and Genesis chapter 35 give us a picture of what happens in these Bethel moments. We'll take a few minutes to drill down and, and to teach a bit more. Let's take a step back and ask, what is a Bethel moment? Bethel in its original text is, isn't Bethel, it's actually Beth-el, which means the house or place of God. What we know is this, Bethel moments are a place of encounter. Genesis chapter 28 verse 17 says this, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Genesis 35, 15 says, and Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Bethel moments are these major moments in our life when we encounter God, and, and I'm sure each of us have stories. We all have those moments where we feel like we encountered God. I remember being in 11th grade, and man, I had my car, and, and I just wanted to drive everywhere. The problem was I had a little sister who wanted to ride with me everywhere as well. Any older siblings in the room that had to like, chauffeur around the younger siblings? Like, I, had to take, I had to take the younger siblings ever. I had to take my sister everywhere. There was one day that we were going to my grandparents' house. They lived about 10 minutes down the road. And, and I wanted to drive because I had my car, right? Well, my sister wanted to ride with me. The problem is I wasn't ready to leave yet, and my mom and, and my sister were. So my sister kind of gave in. She went with my, my mom, and I get in the car going down the road. And lo and behold, an F-250 ran a red light and T-boned me right in the side. Now, here's the thing about my sister. She always loved riding in the front seat. The guy hit me so bad, he turned me around, I was in a ditch, and he hit me again. The, the car was kind of so bent out of shape that when I was holding the steering wheel, I could turn my elbow out to the right, and I could touch the side of the car. That's how close it hit me. In fact, I could reach over my shoulder about as far back as I could reach, I could reach the back of the car. I mean, it was literally like an accordion. The only thing that wasn't harmed was kind of that driver seat. I, I, I actively remember thinking, man, the hand of God moved in that moment. I was in eighth grade. My dad and I were on a motorcycle. I was coming back from baseball practice. And uh, it was an old Cadillac. Y'all remember those old Cadillacs that had like the push-button handles? Remember those push-button handles? Old Cadillac pulled in front of us. My dad laid the bike down. Right before we hit the car, my dad grabbed me and threw me over the car. I ended up in the ditch on the, the other, the, like the oncoming traffic lane. I ended up in that ditch. I, I get up. Only thing that happened to me, man, I, I fractured, broke my thumb a little bit. My dad, my dad broke his back. I remember seeing my dad in that moment. He said some explicit languages about getting the bike off of him. But, uh, but I, remember, I remember thinking, man, the hand of God moved in that moment. We all have these experiences. I could tell you about when I uh, raced four-wheelers. Anybody like grow up like driving things way too fast as a kid? And you're like, why did my parents let me? You look back now, you're like, how am I alive? <laughs> we had this little area that we would race four-wheelers and 
a couple buddies of mine, we would build these jumps, and there was one jump that we built, and, and the older that I got, the more adventurous you got, right? So I just like laid down on the gas, hammered it, hit this jump. The problem is I leaned back and pulled up as soon as I hit the jump, and the four-wheeler, instead of going out like Evil Knievel, went up. <laughs> and I, rem- I vividly remember like, looking up at the sky and just letting go. I don't know why I let go, I just let go. The four-wheeler hit the top of the hill, and it was kind of stuck on the back bar, and I rolled back down the hill, and I remember sitting on the ground looking at my four-wheeler going, dear Lord. It's like the hand of God actively moved and protected me in my life. I remember when we had Harlow at home, and many of you have heard this story. And and a couple days before Harlow was born, checked everything out, we were good, we were doing the birth at home, so we had to make sure she wasn't upside down and all that good stuff, and and, and we get to the moment where we're having the baby, and I mean by we having the baby, my wife was having the baby because I was not having the baby. <laughs> but the midwife was there, and she said, we have a head. And then she said, oh, that's a butt. And it sounds funny, but in that moment, it was like, okay, something's wrong. She was like, I need you to move out of the way. <laughs> okay, thank you for being calm. <laughs> Harlow's leg comes out, second leg comes out, she's coming out backwards. She's a little stuck, and I remember her coming out. Her face was a little blue. Jenna starts to pray, breathes in her face. She starts to breathe. It was like in that moment, I I realized that the hand of God was moving in our life, and there's no doubt that we all have had these Bethel moments. You've all had moments that you can look back and go, man, I think God was there. You might not have recognized it in the moment, but on the other side of the moment, you kind of look back on your life and go, man, I don't know exactly why I'm in this season or why I'm in this place that I'm in, but I know I know God moved, and I know, I know God got me here. And what I know is that God longs to be with us as humanity. He longs to be with us as, as sons and daughters, and, and we want to have these encounters, but we have to take a look at what the Bible says about these Bethel moments and these encounter moments. Let's continue to read in Genesis chapter 35. If you're taking notes, write this down. Encounters require choices. Encounters require choices. You, can have, you can't have an altar experience and step away from the altar unaltered. You can't have a moment with God and step away unchanged. Anytime you step into the presence of God, anytime you meet with God, your life is going to be changed. Genesis chapter 35 verse 2 says this, So Jacob said to his household and all those who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come and let us go to Bethel. Dropping down to verse 4. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and all the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Listen, following God, having encounter moments take choices. The question is, what choice do you need to make right now to remove stuff from your life that's keeping you from the presence of God? There might be some people in the room, you're saying, man, I've never experienced the presence of God. And the question that I would ask back to you is, what do you have in front of God that's keeping you from God? I I said it this way. Listen, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but but we all have have these idols in our life. We all have something that we try to place in in front of God or something that makes us feel more secure than not. And, And I don't know if you're like me, but for me, sometimes it's my bank account. And for me, sometimes it's my job. Because I promise you, on the 1st and the 15th or every other Friday, whenever you get paid, you got a little more security in your pocket. You're like, oh, that direct deposit came in. And I feel pretty good right now because that direct deposit came in. 
But three days before that direct deposit came in, you looked in the pantry, you didn't have any food, and you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to eat dinner tonight. No, none of y'all, okay, just, it's just us, babe. Like, we're just, clearly, we're in, the wrong, we're in the wrong area. But maybe it's your relationships and your friendships. You'll do anything for anybody, but as soon as God asks you to get a little uncomfortable, you start to make excuses of why you can't do it for the church. Maybe, maybe it's your business. Maybe you say something like, I'll put in all the hours, I'll put in all the overtime, and then when you get home from work, one, you don't have time for your family, much less have time to serve in the local church. And you almost idolize your job. I've got to work hard. If I don't, then I can't provide. I promise you there's not a clause in the Bible that says you have to outwork yourself so you can't spend time with your family. If you can't take care of your family, then everything else is automatically going to fall apart. And not just by dollars and cents and what you have in the bank account. What's some quality time that you can spend with your family? None of these things are bad. The question is, are you placing them in front of God? Take it a step further. I think we actually idolize sin. And Zach, what, what do you mean? I said it like this last week. Time away from sin does not give you more or less grace. Grace and forgiveness were displayed on the cross. We, we think that if we're removed from the sin that we committed for a certain amount of time, that God will forgive us more. Why do I say we idolize sin? Idolize, uh, an idol is anything that we place in front of God. And oftentimes, what you and I will walk around going, well, well, God is good, but he's not, he's not that good to forgive me of that sin. So it's something that we hold on to and actually put in front of God. What, what if we actually gave him everything and, and, and all of who we are? Your past doesn't define you unless you let it. Uh, time away from sin isn't stronger than the grace of God, so we have to stop idolizing it. Write this down if you're taking notes. Encounters require movement. Genesis chapter 35, verse 5, then they set out. Verse 6, Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Dealing with your past absolutely requires you to move towards your future. Some of us can't deal with our past because we won't leave it in the past. Like you've dealt with it already. Then move on from it. Don't keep going back to it. Man, I can't stand when I talk to somebody about something that happened in their past three months, six months, six years down the road. Well, pastor, I, I just, I still can't get past what I, then you're saying that that thing is greater than God. Like move, move past it. I'm not saying it's not going to take time. I'm not saying that it's not going to take work. It will. But that work is daily. And daily, you need to remind yourself that his mercies are new every morning. And if his mercies are new every morning, then he's already forgiven you of your past so that you can step into your future. What does it look like to fully trust God? All right, pick up your toes because I'm going to step on some people's feet. Y'all just clap me. Now y'all are going to clap for me. Now you're going to not clap for me. But <clears throat> I've been preaching on altars for the past five weeks. For the past five weeks. This is week number six, and there are still people in this church that have sat in their chair and not made their way to the altar yet. My question is why? Why? Listen, I should not have to give you some fancy illustration to get you to encounter God. I, I should not have to give you some fancy quote to get you to move towards the altar. I, I shouldn't have to show you some movie clip to encourage you to move towards the altar. Wh what, did we, what did we read can you put those two verses back up? Uh, 20, go back to the, I'm throwing, I'm throwing it off right now. I wasn't even going to do this, but I'm going to do it. 
Let me go back through my notes. Genesis 28, 17, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. If we believe that altars are the gateway to heaven, then why don't we get on our face at the altar? If we believe that altars, if Scripture tells us that altars are the very gateway to heaven, then why wouldn't we flood the altar every single week? Now, again, I'm not saying you got to come to the front. I'm not saying that you got to kneel right here and there's something special about this area. I'm saying that we have to have moments of encounters with God every single week. You can make your chair an altar. At the end of the service, when we go into singing and praying and all that good stuff, you can turn around, hit your knees, and that chair can be your altar. Or you can come to the front. You can make an altar in your driveway, in your car, before you walk into your house saying, God, I just need an encounter with you before I go in so that I can pour into my family like you called me to. Maybe you sit in your car. Man, my car has been an altar more times than I can count walking into meetings that, man, I got probably no business being in or having conversations, hard conversations. I'm sitting in my car, God, I need a moment that I need to encounter you right now. What would it look like to truly encounter God? If we believe Scripture, we believe what it says, if altars are the gateway to heaven, then why don't we spend more time at the altar? In fact, you're getting a little passionate this morning. Yes, because I want people just to encounter Jesus. That's why we do what we do. I don't do this so y'all come fill a room. I do this so whatever happens in this room, you can take out in your day-to-day, your week-to-week. I do this so that when life gets hard, you're not calling me first, you're calling Jesus first. I do this so regardless of what life throws at you, you know that you can encounter Jesus for who he is. What would it look like at the end of this service if we actually encountered Jesus? This is what, I'll I'll do this. I wasn't going to do it again, but I'll do it again because it was fun. This is what I feel like a lot of people do at church. They come in, they clearly don't sit on the front row. <clears throat> Some of us do. High five. What's your name? Katie. Hey, I'm Zach. Nice to meet you. Where are you from? I'm from Cherville. Cherville. She's, she's from the south, y'all. Cherville. Uh, Thanks for being with us, Katie. Hey, roommate. You go to Davidson? No, you go to, um, oh, I, you're, you're going to, yeah, Belmont Abbey. What year are you? I don't know what that means, but it sounds fancy. Academic senior. You're not a senior. You're an academic senior. You know when I say, hey, turn around. No, I'll get to that in a second. That's going to rule my illustration. Thank you, Katie. But this is what we do. We come in and we sit. And we wonder why we don't encounter God. We wonder why things are the same week in and week out. Because you sit in the same chair every single week. Unless one of the ushers asks you to slide in. And you'll sit down. Oh, worship's playing. I need to stand up. I'm not really going to look up and sing, but song sounds good today. They sound. Man, Matt sounds like Daltrey. He sounds really good. <laughs> Should probably go tell him that he sounds. No, I'm not going. I'm not going to talk to him because I don't. I don't want to talk to people at church. I'm just going to walk in, check the box. Oh, we're sitting down now. Oh. Oh, they're taking. They're talking about tithe. Let me get my phone out. Oh want to listen to this nonsense oh, Brian's got why's he got Gatorade today? I don't know why he's got Gatorade today what time's that football game start again oh the Lakers beat the Warriors last night you get on ESPN oh we're done talking about tithe okay stand back up all right we're done with worship sit back down I wish the pastor would hurry up and finish I'm just coming Check the box. 
dealing with so much stuff at work. Probably should have turned around and told two or three people, hey, but I don't want to get to know people. I don't want them to get to know my story. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, amen, church is over. No, I ain't going to the altar. Get out of here as fast as I can. Man, I got to go. I ain't talking to nobody in the lobby. I got to use the bathroom, but I don't even want to stop by the bathroom because if I stop by the bathroom, I'll talk to somebody. Right, and that's how we act. That's how we treat church. We do the same thing week in and week out. Hey, I'm Zach. Bill, nice to meet you. I've talked to you a few times, but I'm trying to make a point. Hey, I'm Zach. Hey, Justin, nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Zach. Hey, Laura, nice to meet you. Where are you guys from? Concord. Oh, you're Concord. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been coming to church? Uh, about a year. Year. Yeah, yeah. How'd you guys meet? Uh, long. long story. Yeah. Oh, we got some time. Go ahead. No. But what, but what would it look like if we actually, hey, Katie, how are you? Hey, Katie, you're from Cherryville. Hey, how'd you, how'd you like, what sport do you play? You play a sport? Y'all teammates? Oh, not teammates. What sport do you play? Track and field. What do you do? That's weird. I've never seen, I mean, that's cool. I don't understand how y'all, how, how heavy is that thing? Almost nine pounds. Nine pounds. Do you practice with like a 10-pound weight? 12. Oh, you practice with the 12, so the nine feels light. How long have you been doing shot put? Since eighth grade. Isn't that weird? It's a noble concept, like actually get to know somebody a little bit. Why, why, why do we come to church and act as if like we're staunch Christians? We've got to sit in our seat. We can't break out of the bubble and we can't get to know anybody. You know why, you know why I feel like churches don't grow? And I'm not, I don't just mean in number, but I mean in depth. It's because we don't take time to get to know each other. Man, we want to run in, sit in the seat. I'll listen to the pastor. I'm gone. What if, what if we shook it up a little bit? What if when we said, hey, turn and greet two or three people, you actually turn and greeted two or three people? And when I say, hey, if you don't know their name, why don't you ask them their name? What if you got to know their story? Here, here's what I believe. I believe if we would take the clothes off a little bit, not really, uh, if we would take the mask off. <laughs> are we recording this? Uh, David, dance before the Lord. No, we're not doing that in this church. Uh, took the mask off. This can be on the blooper reel later on. But th- 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 this is my firm belief. My firm belief is this. I believe that people come into the church, they sit in chairs, and, and they don't really get to know each other. And because of that, they're not vulnerable enough to have altar experiences. They're not vulnerable enough. They're not opening themselves up enough to have an encounter with God. Because we sit there and we go, I don't, I don't know about the people behind me. This is what I think a lot that goes to a lot of our brains. Like, we'll sit in a chair. I don't need to go to the altar. I mean, I want to pray to Jesus, but I ain't going to the altar. Nothing's, like, majorly wrong, so why do I need to go to the altar? If I go to the altar, people are going to think my life's falling apart. And it's not really falling apart. It's just not great right now. So I'm not going to go to the altar. I mean, what if you stopped worrying about what was on the peripheral and just focused on what was in front of you and spent time with Jesus? What would it look like to truly encounter God? Also, if you're writing notes, take, take this note, write it down. Encounters require change. Genesis chapter 35, verse 10, and God said to, them, said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. It required change. With that being said, if y'all sit in your chairs at the end of service and you do the same thing, that you've been doing the last, and I'm not talking to everybody. I know some of y'all have been to the altar. 
And I know some of y'all haven't been here. This is your opportunity to come to the altar. But if we do the same thing week in and week out and expect God to move, we're, we're not going to get anywhere. Albert Einstein said this. He said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? Different results. We come to church week in and week out expecting God to move. Get the same results. Because we're doing the same thing over and over again. Encounters require choices. Encounters require us to move, and that movement will lead us to our change. Plenty of people encounter Jesus throughout Scripture, but not all of them allowed Jesus to change them. Think back through Scripture. Think back to the, uh, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he ran up to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, I've followed all the commandments. I've done everything that you've told me to do. I just want to follow you. What would it look like if I could hang out with you more? And Jesus says, cool, sell everything. Come hang out with us. And the rich young ruler sold it all and spent time with Jesus. Negative. Scripture says that the rich young ruler walked away with his head in his hands weeping. And here's the deal. It's not that I think Jesus was saying, you got to sell it all to spend time with me. What was Jesus pointing out? Jesus was pointing out the one thing that the rich young ruler was keeping in front of God. What's that one or two things that's in front of God that you haven't removed? We'll keep going. Encounters are fruitful. Genesis 35, 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. Encounters are fruitful. Encounters involve generations. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to you and your descendants after if you. If we continue to read in verse 23 through 26, we see Jacob's lineage. And sometimes I read scripture about generations, and anytime we do a sermon on generations or reference generations, I think there's one, or, one of two thoughts that you can have. The first thought can be this, great, I'm behind the eight ball because my generational lineage isn't that great. Or... You can flip the script and do something about it. And you can say, you know what? It's going to start with me. I'm going to stop complaining and I'm going to start building towards the future that I want for my family, for generations to come. Encounters involve stewardship and giving. Genesis 35, 12, the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. We can prepare to give away, but if we don't steward it well, then it's for nothing. Zach, what are you talking about? I firmly believe that we're always one generation away from people not knowing about Jesus. If we don't do our part to teach the next generation about the love, the grace, and the forgiveness, and the mercy, and the judgment of Jesus, then they won't know about it. It's up to us to relay that that information to them. It's what stewardship is all about. Go back to... Genesis chapter 28, verse 22. The same Bethel, the same place. Scripture says this, And the memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present God a tenth of everything He gives me. We talk about tithe every Sunday at this church. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but we've had people leave the church because we talk about tithe every Sunday. That blows my mind. It's in Scripture, so we're going to talk about it. But here's what I think. I mean, we teach on tithe. The Bible directs us to talk about tithe. 
This principle is something that I think the global church actually takes as a suggestion rather than a mandate. Bethels are a place of commitment. Genesis chapter 28, verse 20 through 21. Then Jacob made this vow of God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey. If he'll provide with me food and clothing and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Let me drive this home today. If God will indeed be with me. We can say, God, I'm all in. We can say, God, I want to encounter you. Whatever that means, wherever you, I want to encounter you. That, that sounds really good. But indeed, God will be with me. I could go through any, anything in life, I feel like, as long as I know God is with me. And we quote things and we say scripture like this. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall I say in response to these things? Whether, and I'll kind of put some emphasis, whether it be good or bad things. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Right, we've heard that scripture, right? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Yes, we can face absolutely anything with God present. But that doesn't mean that it's all going to be roses, sunshine, and lollipops. Why do I put lollipops in there? Because right now, man, if my five-year-old's having a bad day, if I got a lollipop, everything's better. Found this out yesterday with my two-year-old, too. She can be screaming her head off. You pull out a lollipop, it's magic. Everything's great. (laughs) I wish we had some lollipops for adults sometimes. Stop whining. Here you go. Here's a lollipop. Let me modernize it a bit. We look at other people's lives from afar I mean especially on social media sometimes and we'll say things like it was easy for them to change their lifestyle it was easy for them to walk through whatever they walked through I would follow God if my life was like theirs I would follow God if he provided for me and my family like he provided for them we have these thoughts that everyone around us just has life easy We can even do it when we're reading about Scripture. Jacob encountered God. Of course it was easy for him to follow God. He encountered God himself. He met with him face to face. We have to keep reading in Genesis 35, verse 8. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse, Deborah, died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. And ever since, the tree has been called Alon Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. I want you to catch that alone Bakuth is at Bethel. The very place where Jacob encountered God was also a place of weeping. The very place that Jacob encountered God was also a place of pain. Don't you ever let any pastor, any preacher, any friend ever tell you that you have to have your life put together before you present it before God. Don't you ever walk into a church and feel like you have to have your life put together before you can walk up to an altar and spend time with Jesus. Again, our sin, our brokenness, our failure is the prerequisite for us to needing Jesus in the first place. This church will be a house of Bethel. But this church will also be a house of Alone Bakuth. This is a safe place. This is a place where we're going to encounter God. But this is also a place where we can mourn. This is also a place where we can be our, bring our pain. This is also a place where we can bring our uncertainty. See, most people want to quit when things get hard. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
P.S. When we die, if you're in right standing and have a relationship with Jesus, guess what? It's not the end. You go to heaven. Congratulations. You graduated to heaven. I couldn't imagine walking through life not knowing Jesus. I couldn't imagine walking through life and and going through a season of pain and, and torment and fear and failure and not having any hope. And that's what we see in 1 Thessalonians. There are people who grieve and have no hope. What I want to do is encourage you today, even if you're in a grieving season, even if you're in a mourning season, even if you're in a season of uncertainty, guess what? You can still have hope, and his name is Jesus. He's always on the other side of your fear. He's always on the other side of your failure. He's always on the other side of your sin and your shortcoming. Again, that's the very prerequisite that we need to present ourselves before him. So today, as we go to the altar, as we encounter God, what would it look like to bring your pain? Then what would it look like to bring your hurt, to bring your emotion? What would it look like to bring your disappointment, your disillusionment? I don't care what, I don't care what society says about our church, but I hope they ask this question. I heard they meet God there. I wonder if that's true. And as we open up the altars, I'll let you do with that information what you will. I heard, I heard people meet God there. I wonder if that's true.